You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey there, it's Blasco, and this is a new level. Welcome to episode three. My guest today is Mike Mowry. Mike is the owner of Outer Loop Management, where he handles the careers of the refused, Darkest Hour, Good Tiger, and many more. He also runs Outer Loop Records and has an intensive coaching platform as well. He is the owner of this very podcast network, Jabberjaw Media, and the reason why we can all be here today. So Mike, how you doing, brother? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, <laughs> when you describe what I do, you know, you make it pretty succinct. There's a lot more to it some days in some ways, but I'm very fortunate to be in a place where the overlapping element to me amongst all those things is my desire to help uh, artists and, you know, professionals, developing professionals in this business. So, um, yeah. Thanks for having me, friend. Yeah, so let's take it back to the beginning. How do we know each other? Where do we meet? You know, that's a good question. Obviously, we're both managers, and it seems like we got into it around the same time and, you know, in those same circles of metal, metal core, you know, punk, tangential. I think it has to probably do with, you know, in the century media and or Ash Avildsen Ryan Downey kind of where all those worlds intersect, you know, knowing who you were, you know, we were talking about this when we were down in Mexico city with Dewey, you know, host of peer pleasure. We were talking about the ads, you know, of you in front of all of the, um, the cabinets, you know, and, and Dewey was talking about back to his days as a teenager and looking at the magazine. So I knew who you were, you know, and your reputation as of course, you know, just as big as, as your, I guess your your real life personality is just as big as your reputation that precedes you. And so, you know, I think maybe I was maybe even a little intimidated to first meet you, but you know, you're just such a uh a genuine, easygoing person that, you know, once we really did meet and then in the later, the past few years just kind of connected on the managerial level. I mean, it's been nothing but an honor. Um, yeah, and, and for anyone listening that doesn't know, uh, Mike and I have our own podcast as well called Managemental that is uh, currently 69 episodes strong. And uh, so if you have not already, give that a listen. So, Mike, how did you get started in the music business? You know, uh, a few years ago, myself and my wife were out of, you know, with a couple who lives in Seattle and we were having a good time and we were all talking about how we knew each other and we we invented a game called wrong turn and it was essentially going back through your life and you you presented with these choices <laughs> and and instead of making what would be the right turn right choice being you know the, the right turn we dubbed it the wrong turn it's it's me sort of joking because it's been um you know, this odd thing that I don't think I, I could have ever chosen the path that I've ended up on. But in looking back, I'm so fortunate that this is where my life has taken me. And 
you know, I got involved, I was involved in the DIY punk hardcore scene, got into punk music in the late 80s, really, you know, inserted myself in the, you know, early to mid 90s, started putting out records. When I lived in Santa Barbara and went to college there, we put on shows in our living room in a place called The Pickle Patch. I continued to put out records with my label called Fight. I played in a hardcore band, Good Clean Fun, which toured the world years over. And then I got the opportunity to uh, tour manage a band. The, the, the funny thing is at the time, Blasco, I didn't even know what a tour manager was. It was really, we were so DIY, that's what we were doing ourselves. And so, I mean, I knew what the term was. I just didn't know all of the responsibilities, but I fell into that with the international noise conspiracy. You know, Dennis from Refused, who's a dear friend, uh, they asked me to go around and do just a few shows in the States, which turned into their first full US tour. And then I did that for five years all over the world and really got a, a taste for the business side of it. And, you know, coming from the DIY, punk hardcore world business is sort of the afterthought or maybe even the like redheaded stepchild but i found this affinity for where i could finally you know become a professional utilizing all of the skills that you know i developed as this diy punk guy and then in that next kind of turn if you will like i said darkest hour my good friend one of my best friends mike who i literally just came uh, back to the office from having lunch with, he asked me to manage his band when they got the opportunity to go on OzFest. I didn't really know what a manager was. You know, as the tour manager, I only knew one manager. It was the manager for this band. And I was like, man, it can't be that hard. So I said, sure, let's do it. And here we are 15 years later, lots of uh, trials and errors and bumps and highs and lows. Um, you know, it's a crazy career and a crazy life, but as I said, I mean, it's, it's been a pleasure and an honor. And what I love about it is being able to, to help people along the way. It really is what I, what I, what I love to do. You know, there's a common theme in this podcast that you uh, cannot trust anyone in the music business that wasn't first in a band. So I'm glad that to know that uh, you fit that mold. My friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would probably put a little asterisk on there. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've found is people that have had to do something themselves, right? So many of us that were in the DIY hardcore world, whether we were in a band or whether we just supported people or in that underground metal world, but there was a time and place where you had no choice but to do things on your own. And so those are the people that we have to trust because time and time again, you know, it talk is cheap. I mean, we, we do things, you know, and, and you and I've covered it in our podcast, just get started and keep rolling. And you understand that, I mean, that's a value that not many people get, uh, you know, bestowed upon them, but the worlds of creating opportunities, again, whether it's you're in a band or whether you're in an underground circle, those are the people who I end up trusting the most. What would you consider your greatest achievement? You know, I could answer this a hundred different ways, as I'm sure many of your guests could. And it's not because um, I've had so many achievements, though it is important to look at, at the successes and accomplishments that you've had. That's something that I've had to learn over the years. You know, we're in a business where charting, you know, in the top 20 of Billboard is quickly, you know, gleaned off to the side because there's so many other things to do, you know, and, and as a manager, there's 
always something more to do, if not for the artists that you've just had success with, but one of your, your many other artists. So, you know, one of my first answers would really be when we, you know, charted peripheries, not double album, but simultaneous releases for Alpha and Omega, which was two separate records, you know, made from the same recording, put them both up for sale in parallel with one another and charted both of those in the top 20 of the Billboard Top 200. I mean, coordinating that release across five separate labels uh, worldwide was just, if I look back on something that I put my heart and my soul into and the results were there, that is absolutely one of them. But bigger than that, Blasco, is keeping this machine running and staying you know, relevant and staying motivated and excited to keep my business afloat always changing. You know, I have this record label that you mentioned. I have a coaching platform. I've developed this podcast arm. It's because I'm constantly seeking for new ways to be able to take my hunger and thirst for this crazy thing called the music business and allow them to, you know, have a chance for sustainability, if not success. So that's really my achievement is being here for 15 years, all of the bands that I've had the pleasure of working for and with, whether it have been, you know, these top 20 results or no results that we can brag about, you know, to come all of the employees, interns, partnerships, you name it. That's really my greatest accomplishment and achievement. Okay. So on the flip side, how about one misstep that you encountered along the way that you learned from? I will say there's been times where, you know, in one case in particular, uh, I burned a bridge and, you know, didn't even realize that I was burning it at the time, but, you know, took for granted the relationship that I had with someone who was very near and dear to me that we'd worked side by side professionally for a very long time and didn't give it the respect and the attention and love that it really did deserve. And the reason that it sits with me is I've learned that I have to own my mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And part of what I've learned is ownership of them is only part of it. There has to be acceptance on the other side. And the big misstep that I'm talking about with a particular person, you know, we haven't been able to mend that fence. Um, and I'm not putting blame anywhere. I'm just saying, you know, to me, if I could go back and do it over again, I let something small and trivial be the thing that drove us apart where we had all of these great bigger things. And so really the the failure there is not understanding how a certain thing should be prioritized, if you will. Um, you know, as an artist manager, I know you can relate to this, you know, regardless of whether the band's making you millions or whether they're making you nothing, you know, if you've taken them on as a client, they mean something to you and they've, you know, you represent them to the best of your ability. That said, the rest of the world doesn't always see it that way. And so, you know, me taking a hard stand on a really small client ended up costing me, you know, a relationship with someone who I built one of my biggest bands with and know that there could have been so much more business to come in the future. That's the one that really stands out to me today. Yeah. You know, we're all in this together and we're all, creating something from nothing, right? There's no, I mean, yes, you can take courses in college, right? And, but at, at the end of the day, like we only 
we only got to where we got by learning along the way. You know, there's, there's no specific, here's how to manage bands class. There's no YouTube tutorial on this is how you manage a band. It's like, you know, we, we, we get in there and we grind and we learn along the way. And, you know, there's, there's failures and we just got to turn those around and make it useful for us in the future. Just a little bit ironic, you know, as we age and as we gain more experience, I think both of us would, would say, wow, the things that we prioritized at one point shouldn't be as much of a priority now and vice versa. And the, the most challenging thing in this world of aspiring musicians, no matter what the genre is, you're fighting over a slice of fucking pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes that brings out the worst animal in everybody because, you know, you're fighting over something so small. And once you grow and learn that there's more pizza, there's pizza for everyone, right? There's no yeah. need that we have to fight over the same slice. Let's each create, you know, let's help each other by baking it, you know, an entire pizza that we can split down the middle or whatever the stupid metaphor is. But that's been the biggest thing to me is there's a way to act. And sometimes the circumstances, whether it be money or, you know, desire to create opportunities gets in the way of what is actually the right way to be. And that's the mistake that I've made time and time again. And hopefully I don't make again in the future. What is your best piece of advice for someone who is working towards a career in the music business? Uh, you can't rush greatness. Um, really, it's, it's you know, there's, there's twofold. One is you can't rush greatness, and the other is great content done consistently over time. And that would apply to artists on both ends, as well as anybody trying to have a career in the business. You know, there's exceptions to every rule. You can point at the band that blew up off of album one. You can point at the manager whose first band became massive. But most of us are here, like me and you. We've been at it for a long time. Our greatness is, is, is final seeing the light of day, but we couldn't rush it. We couldn't speed it up. There had to be a patience to it that, you know, to most people would probably be uh, insufferable. And on the consistency side, content is king, whether you're creating the content or helping promote it, you know, whether it's a band and that content is music, video, you know, touring, you name it, whether we're in the podcast space and we're talking about episodes, whatever it may be, there's a level of consistency. And again, that time factor is really the thing you can't control. So might as well sit back, hey, you know, have your plan in place and then enjoy the ride. Understand there's going to be bumps, there's going to be peaks, there's going to be valleys. And even when you think you've made it, you better be looking 10 freaking, you know, car lengths ahead because there could be a cliff coming that you're not even ready for. Um, you know, you and I talked about it today. It's like talk about streaming. Streaming's here. You know, I laugh because there's people that I call champagne bands, you know, bands that were of a level that were drinking champagne and now they're being served beer or maybe even light beer. That ain't a good transition. I've always managed bands that are, I call beer bands. So now we're drinking light beer. Eh, you drink enough of it, you can still get drunk, <laughs> you know, but it's all about just being cognizant of where you are and, and just having some patience and some grace and understanding that, you know, if you're dedicated to this and you are in it for the right reasons, it will come around to you. It may not look exactly like you thought it was going to look. You might not, you know, run a, a massively successful business with thousands of employees, but 
just be grateful for every minute that you have that you're here in this crazy music business because you and I both know it, Blasco. How many times have people said, holy shit, that's what you do for a living? That's amazing. <laughs> what is your unique strength? Uh, persistence. And it's really uh, an unrivaled drive, you know, and I feel like I'm strategic in a manner that allows that drive to manifest itself in a way that not many others can. You know, I really, I've got this ability to see the totality of things and that's mainly because of my experience and my desire to fully understand it. So I'll take a step back. I try not to get caught up too deep in the emotions, look at the full circle of what's in front of me, be able to take that and, and implement a strategy and and show the others who are trying to get there how what they're seeing and what they're doing isn't necessarily in line with what they say they want to be doing. So you take an artist, for instance, they say we want to be, you know, at this level. I have this ability to take them and show to them in a very professional manner, okay, the art you're delivering isn't going to get us there necessarily. So let's take two steps back and be very strategic. Once that strategy is laid forth, it's a desire to implement that's unrivaled. There isn't a minute that I don't think about exactly what needs to be done and be done it next in order to make sure that the strategy that we've all agreed on comes to fruition. And there's not many people in this business. I'm pushing boulders uphill all day long. I'm developing bands that no one else will typically has given a chance. And I do it alongside a great staff with a success rate that's pretty much unrivaled in this business. And that's not to pat myself on the back. It's just to know that if if you really want something, you want to help people like I say that I do, then you've got to be able to take a step back and say, yep, these are the ways that I've done it and, and we'll continue to actually do it. I'd like to add that, you know, you've got a lot of guts and you've got a lot of passion in what you do in that, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, man, sometimes I just feel like we have no choice. Like, you know, we, we're so passionate about this music and this genre and what, and what we do. It's like, I can't even imagine thinking that I would be doing something other than like creating this business within the passion that is the love of this music. Right. And like, and guts, because it's like, it takes a lot of guts to do what you do. You know, it's like, you know, you started a business, you, you just went for every day you're getting up and you're going for it, you know, and passionately you start new projects, you know, and you, and you stick with it. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of guts to follow your, gut instinct and really take these bands from zero to 60 and start new projects and see them through and, you know, build a company or whatever, man. So I'm just like, I'm patting you on the back that, you know, I think you're a rad dude and you got a lot of passion. You got a lot of guts. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I mean, this was out of necessity, you know, I knew I wanted to work with bands and uh, there's a lot of managers out there and there's a lot of bands out there that are, you know, I'm not saying that, that managers with large acts aren't worth what they're worth. I'm just saying, I know that I'm just as good. I've sat at the table with all of these guys and girls. We've broke bread. We've had drinks. We've done everything that we can. And I know that I'm absolutely no better necessarily, nor worse, other than uh, I know if I put my mind to it, I can do what you've said. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think everybody that's out here doing things on their own, 
um, has balls, has, you know, a, a passion to, to do this. And yeah, I mean, look, it's a drive that some people would, you know, say is borderline psychotic to me. It's just what I know. And, you know, I guess one thing to add on to this is I see so many people who don't have the follow through, you know, they've got the idea, they've got the ability to get the idea in motion and then following through with it is really that last bit. I ran marathons for a long time. And really the reason I got into marathoning was to be able to quell my anxieties that come along with running my own business. There's so much that I can't control that I said, screw it. I know if I go put one front in front of the other, the only thing that's going to stop me is me right? No band can call and say, oh, we ran out of money. We broke down on the side of the road. No label can call and say, you're dropped or we don't have the budget. All that can happen is I can decide whether or not I continue on for the 26 miles or I don't. But what I learned in marathoning is there's a, a last 10%. So many people get to this thing called the wall at mile 20, 20 plus, and they stop because it fucking feels like shit most of the time when you're at that place and stopping is by far the best option. It feels so good. But if you've put your mind to it and there's a goal of 26 miles, you dig deep. You dig into your head and tell yourself stopping is not an option. The only way to get there, the difference between the people who take home the medals and those who don't is that last 10%. And I've applied that to my business each and every day. I know that following up and keeping people on task is what ultimately gets us through that last 10%. Which is why we've had the success that we've had with artists that many other people, you know, couldn't do. They don't know how to dig in that way. And it's no, they may know how to do things on a much grander level, a much larger level, but this is something that I know I am very unique at. What are you most fired up about right now? now? Oh my goodness. Uh, so many things. The future of the business is what I'm fired up about. Um, I love the opportunities that continue to fall into the hands of the artists and those of us who uh, represent artists. You know, like the barriers to entry have continued to come down. And though I've been able to hop over some of them or at least sidestep some of them in my career, uh, now I don't have to worry about that so much. If I believe in an artist, I've got all of the tools in my repertoire to go in and develop them on my own without anybody's help. That to me is so incredibly liberating. The same thing in the podcast space. To me, there's just such a level of honesty that comes along with the transparency that podcasting affords us. And the medium itself is, doesn't really matter. It's that it's allowed people to really have these honest conversations and be more transparent about where they are. It's not so much smoke and mirrors anymore. It's really, you know, about reality. And that's so exciting to me. And so just the future of where content and innovation intersects with this crazy thing called the music business, I'll get fired up each and every day about that. <laughs> okay. So it's a good segue into give us just one prediction for the future of the music business. Managers and or labels will continue to, the line between those companies will continue to morph. And you will find that there are artists, uh, representation firms, if you will, you know, that are able to handle both the 
the larger scale, you know, artist management in the traditional sense, creating opportunities and aligning goals with um, reality combined with the exploitation of either the artist or the artist and their representatives, you know, co co-owned rights. We're doing it a little bit already internally. And I think you're going to see more and more of that, not for any other reason than uh, it allows more of the pot to be shared by less of the people because on the developmental side, as you and I've talked about many a times, the finances of, you know, having a band sustain itself uh, are becoming more and more challenging. So, you know, to me, the prediction is really uh, sort of a one firm to participate in multiple things that maybe multiple firms would have done in the past. Um, I also think you're going to see a shrinkage in the number of developing artists. Uh, for the past 10 plus years, it's been easier than ever to start a band, become a band and sustain yourself as a band. But I think that that is going to taper off here soon. And you know, the, the ability to, um, you know, sustain yourselves out of the gates is, is going to be more challenging and we're going to see less, uh, less people willing to, to take that dive. Are you feeling like you were going to see an upward, you know, positive trend in newer artists that can really have the ability to take the future into their own hands, right? I mean, it's good to have a partner, uh, in terms of like a label, but we don't need one now, right? So is it possible that we're going to see more bands that have more fire in them, more drive to where they're just like, look, I mean, there's no reason why we can't just do this ourselves, you know? I mean, we can we can book shows ourselves, we can tour manage ourselves, we can record albums ourselves, we don't need all this outside input. It's like, we know that our resources are limited. However, we have access to the same things that everybody else has, right? We don't need a label to get on Spotify. We don't need a, la a label to get heard. Right? And so like, is it possible that we're going to see more bands taking their future into their own hands? I absolutely hope so. I think one of the biggest challenges, especially in the worlds that I've, you know, the genres that I've lived in over the past decade is there's been uh, too many quote unquote managers and too few quality bands. And so what happened is, you know, there was a point in time where I would not work with a band until I'd seen them live and met them in person. Because to me, those were the things that I knew were going to carry the weight of the impact we were going to be able to make. But then along the way, so many other people would hear about something and go in and, and try to work with an artist before, you know, they didn't have those same requirements. So I had to bend what I knew was best for my business practices, or I would have absolutely no business. So I do think it's going to ebb back the other way. And you are going to see artists, not because there won't be people who want to work with them, but artists understanding that, you know, just because somebody comes along and wants to work with you doesn't mean that it's necessarily best for your career. There's a time and a place. And so I absolutely hope that we see artists that build themselves to a place where they can't go any further. And that's when they bring on whoever it is. I don't care whether you call it a manager, a label, an advisor, a counselor, a coach. It doesn't matter to me what the term is. All that matters is that person can then come in and add value that you have are not able to continue to add on your own. Okay. So put on your manager hat and what qualities do you look for in a new client? Then put on your label hat and what qualities do you look for in a new signing? 
to the to the label, right? So like what are those similarities there? Uh on the managerial side it really is I mean there's there's a couple of overlapping things. One is you want something that has star power. You want something that's unique in terms of the art that they're creating, but also has the ability to reach levels that are beyond the dreams of most people. And it's hard. It's really hard to find those acts and those artists. And to me on the managerial side, I've always said, I want to like the music or I want to like the people. And it's a win if I like both. You know, the one thing that I've learned that I don't have any time for is trying to take something that I know cannot have a chance at breaking out of a certain, uh, you know, breaking through a certain ceiling and supporting it just because I like it. I, at that point, I've learned to just become a fan because a lot of the stuff that I do like is from the underground and that's different than it aligns with, you know, the goals of what I'm trying to do in terms of running a business and supporting multiple people, you know, who work alongside me, them and their livelihoods. Uh, on the label side, I mean, you know, the, the other component that comes along with it oftentimes is a team. You know, do they have a good team in place, you know, uh, that will help create opportunities provided that hopefully they have all of those other things? You know, do they have quality music? Do they have a, a, a star person? Not someone who's necessarily a star right then and there, but has that potential that over time of doing it, they can grow into, you know, that that particular role that you and I both know can take an average band, you know, and make them them good and take a good band and, and make them great. It's the front person out there selling, if you will. And selling isn't mean a bad word, but out there projecting, you know, the art and the aura of what the artist is. But on the label side, I absolutely hope that somebody has a good team. Do they have a manager? Do they have an agent? Do they have some people that come along with them that can help us generate opportunities. Uh, because as a manager, I like to go and build those things. I like to identify the label that will work best for the band based on, you know, uh, investment based on personalities that work there, find the right agent who's passionate, but also has influence. And so there's a little bit of a difference there in terms of, of how and when I want to have that, you know, those certain pieces into place if, if I can control it. On the label side, are there are there certain analytics that you'd like to see in terms of views or followers, some type of engagement, some type, some type of sales numbers, some types of, uh, you know, crowd numbers, ticket sales? Um, and if so, what, what are the, where are those thresholds? To where you consider someone young. There's no hard, fast line, in all honesty. What I'm most uh, excited about is to see the growth. We'll take one artist in particular that um, I've been aware of for almost a year. We just signed them to the label recently. Last July, they had 400 Spotify followers. As of a few weeks ago, I haven't looked. It might be even higher. They were over 25,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So to me... You know, 25,000 is a pretty decent number for an unsigned artist, but the fact that they went from 400 and I know their strategy and how hard they work to grow it on their own up to 25,000, that shows, okay, this is something they can do on their own. Now I've got to, you know, when I sign it to the label, which we've done, now we say, look, you know, now we're adding, you know, the level of professionalism that 
you guys aren't necessarily capable of having done on your own. But that fight, that tenacity that got you from zero to 25, that's what I expect is going to get you from 25 to 100 and from 100 to 250 and 250 to 500. And then at some point we'll be sitting there and hopefully Spotify is still the right you know platform and we'll be at over a million monthly listeners. And I'll be able to sit back and say, it wasn't about the, the actual number the 25,000 wasn't what was important. It was that they had grown it on their own. And I think that's a huge part of what so much of our industry, myself included, has allowed to, to sit by, you know, to, to make a mistake is that we see the potential because there's a lot of potential out there. There's a lot of really talented people. That said, it's those talented people that have the ability to create opportunities on their own that we know if we can add on to it, they're going to be in a really great place. The mistake is when I've seen talent and I've bought in, I've seen some really talented people. I've signed some really, really talented people that frankly just didn't have the ability to do anything on their own. And I and my team, no matter how good we are and Blasco, you and your team and you name it, you can't pull people over the finish line. You can show them where it is. You can coach them. You can run alongside them and get them there, but you cannot drag them over it because that's just a recipe for fucking failure that I've seen too many times in my life. What would be a new level for you? Honestly, it would be what I'm trying to do in in 2018, which is, you know, you've identified I've got multiple arms to my business, management, records, coaching, podcasts, and there's a couple of other, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors that uh, aren't necessarily in line with music. It would be to have someone running the operations of each of those that allowed me to do what I do best and do what I love, which is come up with the game plans alongside the team, hold the top level meetings as well as create the top level opportunities, but have the, the, the operations thrive without my direct involvement. That would allow me more freedom and more uh, ability to enjoy the finer moments of what it is we are creating, which is really some amazing stuff. All right. Last question and the most important question. Living or dead, who are the members of your ultimate super group? Oh, shit. I mean, it's so hard, but I will say, wow, this is going to be kind of cool. Ian Mackay has to be involved just because you don't have a fucking Fugazi and a minor threat, or I guess I should say minor threat and Fugazi and not end up in a super group. And he can do whatever the hell he wants. He can play guitar. His voice has to be present in some capacity. I'm going to take Isaac Brock, the singer for Modest Mouse, which might seem a little bit of a, of a left fielder for most of you, but uh, that's kind of, you know, closet closetly known as, as my favorite band. And that dude's just a freaking genius. Ooh, let's think. I got to get a bass player in there. I'm choosing Blasco, everybody. It mugs in. He's in. Nepotism at, at its finest. And uh, I mean, fucking drummers. I'm just gonna take. <laughs> I'm just gonna take a goddamn drum machine on tour with me. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up. While with those three guys, you can have any drummer, and it's gonna be great. How's that? Or I do like the idea of a drum machine. I mean, you. It's. It could be like Big Black. You know, Big Black didn't yeah. have a have a drummer. So maybe, uh, I don't know. Or it'll have a rotating cast of drummers. You know, it'll, it'll include some of my favorites. It doesn't really matter. I mean, at the end of the day, to me, you know, I love music. Uh, but I think what's different about me is I love people more than I actually love music, which 
it's probably a fine line, but the reason that I'm in the business and the reason I play the role of the business that I'm in is, is the music absolutely has an effect on me, but it's the people who make the music and the people who interact with and work on behalf of the musicians that I connect with actually more than the music itself. And so, um, that's really so key to me about, um, about what we do or what I do. Awesome, Mike. Well, dude, as always, thanks for uh, taking the time out of your day. Where can the listeners follow you on the Insta- Instagrams and, and Facebooks of the world? And if someone wanted to submit their music to the label, how do they do that? So everything can be found at outerloop.group. There's, uh, that'll give you the channels to go to the coaching, the management, and the record label. There's a way to submit right then and there online. Um, there's a form which does get monitored, uh, thankfully. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mike O'Loop. Facebook is probably something simple like slash Mike Mowry. Um, and yeah, for anything else, all the podcast stuff, jabberjawmedia.com. And yeah, thank you, Blasco. It's always a pleasure to chat. And this is a fun one. I love what you're doing, Harris. It's cool. Nice. Thanks, dude. Peace. A new level podcast is brought to you by Musicians Institute. Headphones provided by Monster Products. Editing and music by Blake Bunzel. Logo design by Mango Beard. I produced this show with my managemental co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry for Jabberjaw Media. Email me questions or comments at askblasco at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fall Out Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.